and welcome back to the Thunder Six Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be talking about Gabriel Deck yet again. He's actually going to be playing tonight, so I'm going to be talking about him, what to expect, just the different parts of his game, and, you know, just seeing how he fares with the Pelicans. Same goes with the entire team. And I'm also going to be bringing back the Buyer Bluff series just briefly here. And I'm going to start off with that because it is going to be quite short, but this is actually inspired off of um, Daily Thunder's Brandon Rabar. He did a little segment where the topic was Ty Jerome or Shima Luke. And, you know, I thought that was a really good one. Like, I don't tend to compare players together. But the deal is with Fee, I think we all know, he is expiring. So he's going to be a free agent next year. And Ty Jerome, this is going to be the final season of his first two years. I think since he was a first-round pick, he has a team option for the next two. So technically, he could be let go as well. But the talk was, which one of those two would you want moving on in the future? You can only have one. Which one would you want? And this was a question that I think has a lot of different layers to it. I'm just going to kind of briefly summarize my answer. And the quick answer is Ty Jerome. That's the guy I'd want. I think if you put both them right next to each other, that's the clear-cut pick. We've seen him dominate. He's jacking up 30-footers, nailing them at a pretty high clip. And, you know, when it's not a 30-footer, it's like 28-plus. You know, I tried kind of ranking up the numbers here. He's 2 of 4 on 30-plus footers this season. And I assume that a lot more of them were from beyond 30 feet, to be quite honest, because we've seen kind of how he just lingers way beyond the three-point line. But a lot of them are coming from 28 and 29 feet. Svee Mikhailuk, he's looked really good, but he's more of just a corner specialist. He's worked really well in the mid-range, and I'd probably say he's probably a better finisher uh, at the basket than Jerome is, at least from point A to point B. But he's not very good with the ball. I think Ty Jerome has the edge there. And just the fact he's able to handle it. I mean, he's a combo guard. Svi is not a point guard. He is a guy you kind of mesh in with the lineups as just a perimeter specialist. Jerome, he has the ability to actually be a ball handler at times as well as be a great perimeter shooter. So that's the frank reason why. But I think that with the lottery, this could actually kind of tilt the scales a little bit because we know heading on to next season, we're going to have our point guard spot just shirt up entirely. SGA is going to be the primary, and right behind him should be Teo Maladone. Now, what happens with those other two spots? And this is kind of where the question marks start rising in the air, because honestly, maybe even Teo could be the starting two guard next year. You don't want to go there just yet, but it's a possibility. But think about this. You have SGA, you have Lou Dort, you have Baisley, you have Poku. Those are four guys, especially Poku and Bays, where... If those two are starting, Dort's getting slid down to the uh, to the two guard, and Teo's going to be your sixth man. That's the that's the situation there. But you're not even taking into account the fact that you have two potential top five picks. Now you're not going to chalk either one of those up as a top five pick yet, especially that Rockets one because we only have about a 48% chance if the standings stick, 48% chance to get their pick, and it would be number five overall. And then on top of that. Our pick is number five right now, and you know, I might even lean down to six, but there's a lot of fluctuation that one could go to. So like it could go from one to pick number nine if we are slotted at fifth. If we're sixth, one through ten, don't get all caught up in the, the nine and ten though, because 
for us, a, I think a ninth place finish in the lottery is about a 0.9% chance. But also, finishing fifth is only 2.2 because all those four teams above, specifically the top three, all have really high chances of snagging that number five pick. So you can't really see, you know, end of season standings where they're going to be at. It's just not a very high likelihood that anyone sticks in their primary position. So don't take too much into account of that, but just think about those picks and think about how beyond that, let's say we don't get the hit on the Rockets pick. We're going to get the Heat's pick. We're going to get the Timberwolves second round pick, which is going to be top 35, as well as two other uh, seconds, I believe. So we're going to have a lot of different assets to kind of be flinging around here. And if they're really dead set on someone in this draft class, they have the assets to acquire somebody. And they might not even need to do it because of how the lottery would kind of fold out. But on a hypothetical saying, you know, let's just say we get one um, one pick and it's top three. That means you're guaranteed to get either Cade Cunningham or one of the two Jalens. Let's say Cade goes first because that's just a consensus. And for the fun of it, let's say that Jalen Suggs goes next. We could take Evan Mobley. I think that makes sense. We could take Kuminga, but... If you take Jalen Green, he is going to be a two guard for you. He's going to be playing next to SGA, really positionless because he's also like six five, six foot six, and then you're kind of giving Tao the short end of the stick. And then off the bench, as I talked about, there's only one spot remaining because there's only four spots on this rotation. That's just the assumption here. And you didn't even talk about Lou Dort. What happens with Lou Dort? Does he stay at the small forward? Does Poku play off the bench? Does Baze play off the bench? You hope that doesn't end up happening. And if it gets to that kind of situation where you got to pick and choose between, you know, Poku, Dort, all that, it's going to be a toss-up, you know, if we get one of those Jalens. And in that scenario, do we even keep either of them? I think that Shvi is definitely more inept, or not inept, he's, he's just more able to to play at the two and three. Jerome simply can't play at the three. Shvi can play down at the two, but he can play at the three just as well, maybe even better. But you need to talk about kind of the dark horse candidate, which is Kenrich Williams. And that might be the talk of the town. That might be the thing we're talking about here. We can say Shvi's gone, okay? Great shooter, doesn't matter, he's out. Ty Jerome versus Kendrick Williams might be the main deal here because off the bench, you got guys like Gabriel Deck, for instance, coming in, assuming he's staying. Isaiah Roby, if he's going to be at the three guard. And you could kind of go down on the list of that. Like, is there even enough room? You know, would you take Williams over Jerome? Williams, he's 26. Jerome, I think he's only 23. But I think Williams has been much more of that just offensive stronghold player. And I know that like a Teo Tydron backcourt would be super duper cool to have, but maybe it just would not work. Maybe Kendrick Williams would need to be there. So you can't say for sure. And, you know, on the flip side, I gave you an example, a really crappy example, because if we had the third pick, you'd think we'd probably go with Evan Mobley. Now, in my personal opinion, I would be cool with getting one of the guards. Um, I think that Evan Mobley, he's looked nice. I, I don't know. I, I haven't done really enough scouting on him to say if he's going to be really great or, or not, but just based on positional needs, we'd probably take someone like Evan Mobley if it came down to that, because the center spot's clearly the weak point here. Moses Brown, Tony Bradley, you don't really know the futures of either of those two. You need someone to hold it down at the five. Isaiah Roby's never really going to be a primary five. He'll be able to slide up in spurts, but he's never going to be the guy for 30 minutes a game, so Evan Mobley would probably be a pick 
in a situation where he was on the board, like at three. But if we get lucky and we're able to even get both of those two, then it's almost like he can't even have both of them. So it is a problem. And if it goes down to a spot where, let's say, there's a small forward opening, but you know both point guard and shooting guard positions are locked down on the first and second units, maybe you do end up taking fee. So it's kind of a positional thing. But I think based on true talent and what we know now, Ty Jerome would be that pick. And I'm going to be honest, I think this conversation will be sprouting back up after the season ends. I don't plan on ending my podcasts. It might not be daily, but I'm definitely not going to end them because there's going to be a lot of question marks just leading into the offseason. I'm definitely going to be talking about all three of those guys and probably just the whole entire team because we probably are going to have the most active offseason out of anyone in the league. So it's going to be very fun to talk about, but that was just kind of a sampler. You know, if you guys have a comment, make sure to tell me who you'd pick between those two. I think Jerome's the guy right now because of what we've seen, but you know, a couple crazy games might make it more of a 50, 50 question, but I don't know. Anyways, moving on to something that we do know, Gabriel deck is going to be playing for the thunder tonight against the new Orleans Pelicans. And I know yesterday I posted on my blog, callousinglifermvp.com, going to change that domain name, but I posted on there about it that he was medically cleared. I don't know if I touched up on it in yesterday's podcast. I think I might have just strictly left that to the Boston Celtics game because of how wild it was. But yeah, he got cleared officially yesterday. I guess late on Tuesday night was when he got the clearance. There was a tweet from an Argentinian outlet that said that he had cleared, I believe it was his sixth consecutive COVID test while in quarantine in Oklahoma City, and he is set to go. But the deal was you had conflicting schedules. You know, if they were on their two-game road trip where they faced Philadelphia and then Boston, clearly he's not going to take a flight to Boston. You're going to wait, and you're going to start playing against the Pelicans and that is going to be the plan it just got announced and this was something that was speculated um, as soon as yesterday because if he was set to clear and there's only 10 games this guy's making 3.87 million dollars if you're not going to be playing him there's kind of some issues there because the pay grade he's making a contest now this obviously it's like the sample size that screws it up but if you inflate that average. So let's say over the course of those 10 games, 3.87 mil. That's roughly $387,000 per those 10 games. If you want to inflate that to out of that 72 game schedule, he's getting the same amount of dollar. He's getting 387k. He would be making a bigger contract than Giannis Antetokounmpo, DeMar DeRozan, Stephen Adams, Al Horford because overall his contract would amount to $27.8 million. Now, as I mentioned, it's kind of clownery to even mention that, like put it on that same level. But when we're talking the bang for your buck right now, that's what we're getting. We signed him, Sam Presti signed him to that large amount, knowing he wasn't going to be playing most of the year. I think he got signed like April 12th officially. It's probably like 15, 16 games then. So his pay is higher than anybody on this team on a game-to-game basis. And it's larger than some of the MVPs and guys like Steven Adams who have contracts that we think are disgusting. And even Al Horford, 
who we straight up know has a really sticky contract because we ended up getting a first round pick, Maladon, and some other goodies for him. So, and that was just to get him in. But yeah, I mean, that is a, a lot of money to be making per game. It's definitely not of that same significance because it's not like they're spewing out $27 million to deck. But yeah, he is he's getting paid really well for the amount of service he's getting. And I think it might have to do with the termination contract. Uh, he had to terminate his clause with Real Madrid, I believe. But um, yeah, I guess he got paid back and then just a, a couple more million dollars to sprinkle it in, help out to ease the wounds. I'd say it's a pretty good deal for him. And it might be a good deal for us because he does come in with a couple of, uh, I mean, good qualities. You know, the fact that he's six foot eight, that always helps out. And, you know, he kind of just gels in with what we need with the roster. But just kind of talking about him really quickly, since he's six foot eight, his primary positions are going to be at both forward spots, small forward and um, power forward. And the way the minutes are going to be scrunched up, we don't really know yet. We don't even have the starters uh, announced. I don't know if Deck would be starting, obviously, first game. Y- you wouldn't just promote him that easy, you'd think. Maybe if Poku or Baze comes down, there might be a chance, very slim. But he's going to be starting off the bench. That is the assumption. Poku's at the three, Baze is at the four, and you kind of just fill in the gaps. And we don't know um, entirely how the center will shape up. If Roby's demoted back down to one of the small forward or power forward positions, it might diminish Deck's role. But Dagnalt's mentioned he wants to get the kind of the gas rolling with them. They want to see him really bad. They want to see what his value is. So it makes sense for him to be playing. But at the three, the primary people he'd be battling minutes for, clearly it's going to be Poku. And then Sfi, Mikhail Luke, and Kendra Williams. Now, we've seen a blend where Williams... In particular, is playing at the two now, and Spee is kind of playing at the three, but I, I don't know if that's going to stick. I think that, honestly, I, I could see Williams keeping his minutes and then Spee getting demoted, at least for this game, a little bit for Deck, or just an even slice, but Deck's definitely going to get minutes at that uh, small forward spot, and also at the power forward spot. You have Bays, who has been commanding about 30-plus minutes per game because of just how amazing he's been. He's looked so good for our roster just been really a breath of fresh air considering what we saw from him in the early months but yeah he's taken up over half of those minutes and behind him that's when you start talking about the guys like Isaiah Roby and Jalen Horde and I think Jalen Horde's got kind of done pretty dirty here he definitely deserves to have a rotational role and we just simply can't give it to him because there's so many young guys anyways it's not like a typical like tanking team like the Rockets or whatever it may be where they have old players. Like they have Kelly Olynyk starring for them right now. And if they wanted to go to a route and say, you know what, instead of this power forward and Olynyk, let's check out the 22-year-old and see what potential he has. They did it with Kenyon Martin Jr. And now he looks like a lottery guy in a redraft. Personally, I don't know. I haven't seen him enough, but that's a like consensus. And he was picked like 56th or 52nd, like back end of the second round. They would want to be gem hunting, and they don't want to win games. So they could say, screw you to a Linux. They'd probably be playing Jalen Horde right now. And I think a lot of teams would be doing that. And we'd be doing that if we didn't have guys like Darius Baisley. When Baisley wasn't playing, Horde was in. Baisley's back. Horde is out, despite the fact he's looked so good. 
but I think Horde's not going to play much. He's only played 17 minutes in the last three games, and one of them really doesn't even count because he was only in for a singular minute, and the other one was 16, but yeah, I don't know if he's going to be playing all that much. I think he already is going to be above him in the charts, but you kind of hope for like a baseline of 20 minutes. Just give a bit of a sample here. We don't want it to be like um, Charlie Brown Jr. where he gets 11 minutes and none of them are really pivotal at all. He's getting like one minute in the first quarter, four minutes in the third and the fourth. Like give him real time and just see how he works because, you know, playing at the high levels, playing in Argentina and then the EuroLeague for a combined 11 years, he probably should have a pretty refined game and that's because he does. He is very good with his size, and I will say that he's not very fast. He is not blazing, and I think for NBA standards, when you're thinking a six foot eight guy now, you're almost thinking of a guy like Darius Basie. You're thinking of the stocky guys who can run the floor coast to coast. That's not deck at all. Like if he strips the ball and he has like a couple steps on you in a fast break, he'll be smooth sailing, but he's not going to be charging ahead of guards to get inside. He's going to be bumping into them to create contact. Not going to be sliding right by him, if you know what I mean. So not too fast, but he makes it up and he makes it up on how he attacks the basket. I've compared him to Vic Krejci so many times on here, probably like five times. Every time I talk about deck, I compare his slashing to Vic Krejci, another six foot eight guy we have stashed away right now. But what I mean by that is he's not super athletic, he's not super fast, but what he'll do is he compensates for it by just playing bumper cars with the other opponents. And he's 231 pounds, so it's not like he's huge or anything, but that's a pretty formidable guy. Like, you know, he's not extremely like toned up. He does look kind of big, so he uses it to his, his advantage to just create contact. And when he goes up for shots, he's getting fouls. But he's also actually converting. He has a very soft touch around the basket. That's something that you love to see from him. So, you know, he'll go up for layups. Seems super contested. And then it's just like a simple touch off the back iron. And it plops in. Like, that's an easy end one for him. And even working in the post, that's kind of how he combats his deficiencies as well. Like, if he is matched on an undersized two guard or even three guard now, since all of them are super slim, um... He'll, he'll back him down, and obviously, when you're comparing EuroLeague to NBA, there might be a difference, but he was able to just body EuroLeague forwards and guards, and just do simple, like, over-the-shoulder post hooks, went in, and even outside of that, uh, he'll just go up straight up for, like, a little turnaround layup, and I think one of the best traits to him is actually his layups, and it's talking about the touch, yeah. But he has beautiful, beautiful finger rolls on both hands, and he loves going glass on these. So he'll kind of charge in, doesn't get the elevation, but he'll just flip it up and in all the time. And he's even doing it on reverses. He just goes to the finger roll consistently, and he yields the results that you need. So look at him kind of as a threat in that area, and look at him in open space as a pretty good guy, at least attacking the basket. And this is something that you can't really chalk up as he's going to be amazing here um, playing in the NBA and playing with the Thunder just yet because, yeah, he's slow. The athletes are definitely a lot faster here. Um, and because, you know, if you got a guy like Tony Bradley or Moses Brown on the interior, we've seen guys like Baisley really struggle 
and, and dealing with that stuff. So maybe even Deck would too. He had Eddie Tavares, who played for the Hawks as a center in Real Madrid. So it's kind of similar. Like Tavares is not really a stretch big, but it might be different just due to the nature of the game now. But um, yeah, I think you need to talk about that. And I think once he kind of has the green light one-on-one, he'll be all right. But just positioning himself like on ISOs, it might be a little bit difficult for him because I have not seen the crazy first step moves we've seen from players like SJ, players like Dort, Baisley. Maybe he can acquire that in time, but right now he doesn't have the burst to just get right by his defender and, and work. So I don't know how often we're going to see him one-on-one, especially when there's other point forwards like Poku and Bays ahead of him already. But if he's given the green light too, which I assume he will in the next 10 games, just look out for that because that is a an area he can really grow in and straight up prosper. He has kind of the different sprouts, the seeds with the Euro, with the post game, and with his ability to kind of go through contact. But to package it all together, there's still a little bit of questions that need to be answered with him. And I think the same needs to be said with shooting. That is probably the area which... I'm not going to say I'm concerned. I'm not concerned with any part of his game. I think he's going to come over, and at bare minimum, his floor is being a very, very solid role player. Um, but his jumper is unorthodox as it can get. This guy shoots like a 70-year-old at the YMCA. We're talking about three inches on a good day of vertical when he goes up for his jumper. It's just a straight-up set shot, and... It takes a little bit of time for him to get the ball off. Like, it's not a quick catch-and-shoot motion, like a little bunny hop. It's a, let me line this up, almost like an archery, like lining up your arrow. It's almost like that. Like, he will take his sweet time, and it's worked out. And I think with someone like SGA, if he's here, dragging players in, he wouldn't have an issue being the recipient and taking his time on threes. But... If he wants to be able to create it for himself on a standstill three, it might be hard. And if players are closing out heavily on him, it might be a little rough rough in that respect. So wide open, I don't think there's an issue. He shot 36.5% on threes with Real Madrid this year. And he shot it just about two times a game. So he's good um, when he's open. But you need to look at it as... What if he's not open? And that's something that I think SGA really embodies. Like when we saw him as a catch and shoot guy with Chris Paul, he was amazing. He had games where he'd go off for 20 plus points, but he wasn't the main dude. And as he became the main dude this year, we weren't even thinking about catch and shoot threes because he didn't have that job anymore. His job was creating an open space. And what has been the biggest breakthrough this year for SGA? In my opinion, I think it comes from the step back three. And once he's been able to get on the move, do dribble moves to get open threes, he's looked like a serious three-level scorer. And I'm not comparing deck to that, but I'm just saying, if he wants to be able to branch off, his jumper might need to get a little bit more fluid. I see him more as like a Kenrich Williams type where the ball will simply just come to him in good spots and he he might need to take a dribble or two, but he's not going to be overly pressured at all. So I don't think it's... A red flag but maybe just like a little wet floor sign like little cautionary take note of the jump shot you're gonna see it tonight and you're gonna be a little bit taken aback by it because it is a little weird but he might be able to start hitting some shots up and I mean it go it looks beautiful whenever it goes in like he switches his threes pretty much every time he makes it not a lot of rim routers uh around with him 
So the three is a little bit wonky for the NBA, but the pull-up game and the fadeaway game is not. It looks like a typical fadeaway, and he'll get the elevation necessary. The jumper looks fluid, pretty high, uh, pretty high arcing, and got a nice apex of the ball. So I think the fadeaway is already on a great level. Could it be a little faster? Of course. Could it be a little bit more fluid? Of course. But it still looks like a very, very solid jumper. And I think the pull-up game for him just looked great looking at the highlight tape. He will stop on a dime and just hoist it up. Doesn't need to take much time. Just like second nature to him popping these. And it'll go in. Sometimes he, he might call bank, might not. It hits backboard to go in. But he's able to hit him. So I think that... He is kind of like Kendrick Williams in that area where he does have kind of certain little roots where he can hit from standstill. He can move in um, for like fadeaways, pull-ups, just like that. So I think he's a good comparison for Williams. I think even such for the inside game because we've seen Williams work in the post on smaller guys. We've seen him drive in and collect fouls. So that's probably the guy most comparable to Kendrick Williams right now. But I think with Kenrich Williams, we know what his kind of calling card is. It's two things, really. It's the defense and it's offensive rebounding. That might be a little bit behind, but he looked really good back in the month of February doing so. I think with Deck, he's a solid rebounder. I don't know if he's going to be like snagging offensive rebound after offensive rebound, but he's pretty good. He's good at boxing out and getting positioning. But his deal is the passing. I think the defense, it's solid for him, but the passing is where you get your money's worth. That's where you get that $3.87 million and potentially 14.5 mil if he stays all four years with us. But yeah, I mean, he is just like Poku and Maladone in their respect. He loves throwing cross-court passes. He will zing balls cross-court and he's really good at making no-look passes, tap passes, jump passes. It's all in his arsenal. And on top of that, he has really weird out-of-the-bag plays that he'll do. And with Poku, we see it all the time where he will just throw crazy street ball moves that they don't really work out that much, but sometimes they do. Deck, he, he has those plays but the success rate's a lot better, and it's because he uses it a lot more moderately. He's very, very smart in terms of where everyone is on the floor and where to find them kind of in their best spots. I think Poku, he sees someone on the floor, and he'll just throw it. He'll kind of just errantly throw it and hope it works out. Deck is not really like that. If he sees a little bit of daylight, he'll wait a second to make sure whoever he's baiting is fully reeled in before he launches the pass. I think with Poku... He'll see just a, a little glimpse of that fish bite on the hook, and he'll start reeling in. Fish is off the hook. That's not what happens with Deck. So he's a lot more kind of trained in that area. So he has had plays where he is throwing over-the-shoulder dimes while working in the post. He drags the center into him. He is throwing the basketball over his head as he's posting players up. The center is right under the rim for easy dunks. And there was this one specific play that I know I talked about about um, two or three weeks ago when he first got signed, but he was going up for a jumper, like left baseline, maybe like 18 feet out. So pretty deep out, but he was going up and he's midair and the defender is, he's kind of not really smothering him, but he's up in the air as well, kind of encasing him. 
and he's probably leaning a little bit more to the left side if i believe so so he's kind of blocking that pathway off but somehow midair deck wraps the ball around the defender's body and just slings it into the paint for two points and i don't know if i depicted this well enough but as I mentioned, you know how Poku, whenever he's in the post, he has just those super gangly arms where he can wrap just right around someone's body and get positioning. It's kind of like that, where he just ropes his arm around the left side of this defender and throws it down inside for the basket. So I don't think we're going to see that that much. That's like a once in a season deal, but it's there. And so is those over the head passes. So he has those street ball moves. He's just like the guys in Teo and Poku who have kind of grown up in the European system where they have really good basketball IQ, really good kind of court vision. And because of it, there are a lot of very huge plays that Michael Cage and Chris Fisher get super duper excited about. And I think Michael Cage in particular tonight is going to have a field day with jokes. Dex's nickname is El Tortuga, which in English is the turtle. First off, you know, like Nick Gallo or somebody uh, is going to have a note card. They, they definitely have notes on this guy. They have two, they've had two weeks to talk about them. And um, yeah, I mean, they know what his nickname is. So if you have a bingo card at home or just make one, I really want you to get it. You got a little free space in the middle, and then you're going to have just reference points of talking about like his pro career in Real Madrid, his nickname, some of the other cool tidbits about him. But I want to hone in on this El Tortuga thing. He's definitely going to get recognized by that as Michael Cage. It's not just going to be once. I can tell you that right now. It's going to be Church League, Earl to Pearl Monroe when comparing it to the freaking guy filling up Gatorade. And then it's going to be El Tortuga. We're not going to, we're going to hear this like five times. It's going to be, that means turtle in English. And then they're going to compare him to a turtle. And here is why. I talked about how he is kind of slow, but when he gets inside, he's kind of very ruthless. He likes getting the contact. And if there's ever an and one play or he goes in driving for a foul, you know what Michael Cage is going to say, or Chris Fisher, I won't leave him off the table too. They're going to go back to the nickname and say that must be why he got it because he's very slow going in, but then he goes into attack mode. I don't know. Maybe like a snapping turtle might be the good comparison with him, but they're going to get him compared to a turtle somehow. And then even going further into it, you can talk about the jumper too. I mean, that's a pretty slow jump shot he has. Um, but also, I mean, he's pretty versatile with his nickname because you can condense it up to El Tortu or just Tortu in general. You know who pairs well with that? Poku. That might be a new duo. I don't think the broadcast crew would mention that because it's just like off guard like what? But get on that train while you can because if Deck gets on fire, there's going to be a Tortu and Poku club just waiting at the door. Entry's going to get closed soon. Hell, if there's not one, I might be the founding member of it. But yeah, I think you need to just keep your keep your ears out for the references to El Tortuga in the game. We might hear more about that than his actual skills and prior history. But um, yeah, just be prepared for that. 
I didn't mention this because I honestly, if you want to hear more about decks like individual stats, you can listen to the previous podcast. But he he did look pretty good with Real Madrid. Averaged 9.7 points, 3.8 rebounds, and 1.2 assists. And then in Argentina, he had like three championships, two finals MVPs, and one MVP trophy. That's going to get talked about. But that might just be overshadowed by his nickname. So think about that. He's going to be the spotlight of this game. And honestly, this was a game where I could see fans. And I, I could tell, like, you know, fans... If they don't want to watch a Thunder game, it's totally cool because they are in a losing streak. You can just watch the highlights, really. But this was a game where since we have the NFL draft commencing today, you might just not want to watch it at all. And there really was not a major incentive outside of it's a Thunder game starting at 8 p.m. Now with deck coming in, they've got a selling point here. So you already saw the Bally Sports Twitter they posted deck he's going to be playing this is what they're hyping people up on so they're going to be stealing ratings from the nfl tonight i don't know how much and i feel like a lot of you guys listening you're probably just going to watch the nfl draft you're going to watch trevor lawrence head on at jacksonville see what goes on with fields and all those other people but i mean they might get a couple ratings here and there if you don't want to watch it during the draft which i understand um you can just watch it at 12 they always have kind of a condensed version where there's not as many commercials you don't have to worry about the the ice cream cox home life commercials and you're good they do trim down the fourth quarter and it ends at 2 a.m so a little bit of a less flexible schedule but you can kind of tinker you know you can channel surf too either works but that's two alternatives i totally get not wanting to watch the whole thing though and if that's the case you're in the right spot because i'll be doing a game recap for the game tomorrow make sure to check the podcast out for that but that's gonna do it for today's episode i thank you all for listening and i'll talk to you all next time see you